Hello, my name is Jared. And I'm Tim. Wait, what? Tim? Yeah, this Aren't is... Aren't you supposed this... to be L? I'm sorry, I, I guess I am supposed to be L, but I'm, I'm not L today. Well, friends, we have a bit of a situation where L needed the day off, and we needed to get this intro and outro done. And so I have brought our good friend Tim Bratton onto the podcast to help me out with the intro and outro. So, Tim... What do you do on our podcast? Tell me a little bit about how you're connected to the New Leaf family. Well, I, I can start with saying I have been the editor of the podcast for the last little while, both for the New Leaf Project and for the True North Theology podcast. But perhaps more importantly, I'm the husband of Amy Bratton. So some yes. of you may know me from lurking in the background on various learning centers and other <laughs> events that, that you've seen or, or at in-person events, which which have happened in the past and will happen again. Yep. So thanks for being here today. We're, we're doing the Movies for Lent podcast series. And this week, we're going to be talking about the movie Pig. I can I, say that at least I, I'm, I'm like Ellen, that I can say I, I haven't seen the movie, Jared. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. So I'm trying to keep consistent with with what the academy <laughs> yeah. as as the co-host responsibility yep. your job is to not have seen the movie. Yeah. Do you have opinions about Nick Cage as an actor? Well, Jared, he he is uh I, I tend to think he is inconsistent as an actor. Mm. Is is maybe the best way I would I would put it. Um so so you'll have to tell me if if in his inconsistency this is a good performance from Nick Cage in Pig or a or a bad one. So I want to say this is a brilliant performance from Nick Cage. I oh. would say uh, I am like you in that just because he's signed on to the project has no indication of the quality of the project itself. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit of Adam Klein, uh, who I believe I would claim publicly is a Nick Cage apologist. He he makes arguments that Nick Cage is an excellent actor, that he has a process, and that even when Nick Cage is terrible, uh, he is going full out in the in the acting world. So I am it's not going to. It's a hard position to hold, but okay. But it's it's a hot take. This is what we might call it. It's a sure. hot take. I don't think Jason shares that opinion. I certainly, I have questions about it for sure. <laughs> I I will bow to their superior film knowledge. That's for sure. But, but um, you say that even you agree that in this movie, for, for this week's Movies for Lent, he, he's good. He, he does is it. great, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed this movie. So let's give uh, Jason and our friend Adam Klein, Jason Tripp and Adam Klein, let's give them some space to talk about the movie Pig. And then we'll come back after the hop. Wonderful. Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, Movies for Lent. We are now in week six of seven. And once again, a big thanks uh, for tracking along with us. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, uh, this week uh, we're interacting with, with the film Pig, starring uh, Nicolas Cage. And uh, we're looking at the lectionary scripture from the Sunday upcoming, uh, Palm Sunday and Holy Week uh, is just around the corner here. And so uh, Adam and I are going to have a, a bit of a conversation today about this film we have uh, shared love for. But before we do that, I want to read uh, this week's lectionary passage again. We're looking at the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke 19, uh, beginning at uh, verse 28, the familiar uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, story. 
Luke 19, 28. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near the city and he saw it, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. It's the word of the Lord. So Adam, um, Pig, I don't know how many times you've watched this film. This is kind of like my Michael Clayton of last year. You said you've watched that film probably 10 <laughs> times. I think I think this was my sixth viewing in the last year of this film. It's a oh, easy, breezy 90 minutes. I've lost count after five. Um, but before we get into the film, why don't we just give a minute to, to give kudos to the man, Nicolas Cage. I know this is one of your your favorite actors. So what is it about Nicolas Cage? He's had such a fascinating career. What is it uh, that just fascinates you about him? And what does he bring to this particular role uh, in this film that fascinates you? I don't know. I mean, Nicolas Cage, um, if we're going to pause and acknowledge his artistry and eccentricity he i mean he's part of like what drew me to film from a young age um like he's one of those standout actors and characters that was just always there and always fascinating always entertaining even if it's a bad film or a bad performance if, if you can call it, it's like he's he Nicholas Cage kind of stands apart. Like, can he ever give a bad performance? Because it's always interesting. I have undying love and admiration for Nicholas Cage to the point that I have intentionally set, you know, time aside over the years uh, to uh, to to actually, you know, watch these like lower end films. I don't know how much we want to get to the story of what's been going on in his career the last uh, 15, 10, 15 years, but um, I've, I've given time to a, a handful of those films that have come out, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you've admired him in some capacities or how, do, how does he strike you? Yeah, he's, I mean, I love Nicolas Cage. Like he's made some duds over the years, but he never mails it in. He just goes all in. Yeah. That's why I love him. And so I love how he's cast in this film. Because, you know, he's played in some over-the-top roles, some ultra-violent roles. And so there's expectations. And, and I don't know if, if any of our listeners had expectations coming into this film. I came into this film cold. My first viewing, 
it was a, the first film of the year that really struck me last year in 20, uh, 2021. And yeah. I was expecting this to be like John Wick or Taken or another film that came out last year called Nobody. Like just this, this you know, paint by number, vengeance film. You know, because the similarities with John Wick are striking, right? They're they're both characters who are, are struggling with grief and loss of a spouse, and there's a pet involved. In this case, a pig, and you're just waiting for Nicolas Cage to go over the top, and heads are going to roll. But that's not the case in this film at all. So I find it quite fascinating that he is the lead role in this film. That sort of leads to some expectations about what this film will be. But it's really a quiet, meditative role. It's a very reserved, understated role. I think it's one of his better performances, I think, because of that. He really shows us the full spectrum of what he can bring to the table as an actor. So, yeah, I really appreciate him in this role for a lot of reasons. And, and some of our listeners may not know as well that the director of this film, Mark, Michael Sarnowski, this is his debut. This is pretty impressive for a first-time feature-length film. So maybe just, Adam, what from a cinematic perspective, before we get into some of the themes and connect with the scripture, what did you appreciate about this film from a, from a cinematic perspective, especially coming from a first-time director like Michael Sarnowski? It's oddly confident, and um, both in the choice for Nicolas Cage to play the part. I mean, I know Sarnowski was, you know, shocked and humbled that Cage was interested enough to do it and even put his name as a producer, but it's uh, like the performance. It's oddly confident and it's quiet and it's patient and I, I think the real power of I mean I do love the look of the film but the, I think the, the true power of this cinematically is the screenplay because I don't know like I, I actually have never stopped to think what would this experience have been like with a different actor right because mm. the the cage aura <laughs> right and definitely played into the expectations for some of us, no, certainly not everyone who went to the theater or, or saw this, you know, on the TV, like, but for some of us, like that added to it, what we were bringing into the room. But, but so I, it, what it would have been like with a different actor, I don't know, but I just mean the sense that the story, it starts with on a certain note at a certain pace and it sort of keeps that steadily, but it takes you into like, I dare anyone to predict first time viewing, right? Like where it goes. It's right. a, it, and yet it's not by and you know I'm I, I'm a diehard Hitchcock fan and um it, it doesn't play at all like that kind of like high tense melodramatic suspense sort of film again it's quiet and patient and yet again it's just as unpredictable and suspenseful because of the unpredictability of where the story goes and ultimately the meaning that it reveals because you don't even expect it to be as poignant and thoughtful. Um, as it really ends up being, at least I didn't going in. I don't know. Yeah, I love the cinematography in the film. I love uh, how the visuals enhance even the, the character arcs and the relationships. I mean, the opening shot is just an overhead view of this murky water. It's like ominous. It's like, okay, there's there's something below the surface here. And that really sets the tone for the whole film. Because on the surface, it's a pretty straight narrative. And I'm assuming all of our listeners have watched the film. If not, as always, spoiler alert. But, you know, we, we see the character Nicolas Cage. He's off the beaten path, off the grid, living in this little shanty with his truffle pig. And they're foraging for truffles. So that's how the film starts. 
And then things really move along really quick within the first five, 10 minutes. You know, he's, he's knocked out, he's bloodied, his pig has been stolen. And that sets him on a journey back into Portland where we learn about his past and he gets a ride in a sweet yellow Camaro from Amir played by Alexander Wolf. And so the contrast in these two characters, it really is the contrast of ideologies. And that, I think that's how it, Again, bringing the scripture into the conversation that ties into the scripture passage. You'll hear Jesus riding in Jerusalem on a donkey during the Passover celebration. And I'm sure from the other end of Jerusalem, marching on the war horses are the powers of the Roman Empire. And these these kingdoms or these ideologies are about to collide. And that's really what's happening in the film. And Sarnowski does a great job taking us on a jury and developing these character arts of arcs of these two individuals, as well as the father of Amir in the story. And so it's, it's a quiet that the pacing is slow. And it's, I don't say that as a negative in the film, but Robin, the character that Nicholas Cage plays, he's, he's never in a hurry, right? He's making these meals and there's attention to detail there. And I think that really helps bring to the surface uh, the narrative of the story. So I think Sarnowski does a wonderful job directing this film. Like you said, the screenplay is wonderful. But Nicholas Cage's character, I want, I want to ask you about this too, Adam. I, I think he's a bit of a Christ character. Or for me, he's John the Baptist for me. He's, he's out, he's sort of out in the wilderness there, right? Uh, I mean, his, his diet's a little better than John the Baptist, certainly. But here he is, he's wandering into town and the, what he says and what he does sort of turns things upside down. So I'd be curious to hear from you. How, how do you see, you know, Cage's character in this film as a, as a prophetic character, as a John the Baptist or a Christ character, some of the subversiveness and what he says and what he does? Uh, or dare I say prophetic in the film? Did you did you notice any of the ways that Robin's character sort of dovetails with with Jesus' subversiveness and well, again, and and you briefly you kind of you kind of glossed over it there in mentioning our passage, right? Where for, I, I would even have to say, like even myself, for you know being a, someone who grew up in the church, and so for the 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 nearly forty years of 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 examining this. Palm Sunday passage it's a story that has unraveled itself for me in unexpected ways over the years and it's one that continues to reveal and twist and be unpredictable in some ways right and in in some ways it's um when you're younger it is you know Jesus is the the central figure and it's uh, it's almost an exclusive focus on his kingship and his and on, on him as Christ and and what this means as a foreshadowing and event but then, you know, as as the years go by and the study and the time and whatever that is involved with being a pastor and a preacher, you know, it, it begins to unravel that it's not just, it's also what the the central figure is doing in this passage, whether it's Mark 11 or Luke 19 or whatever, you know, the triumphal, you know, it's like quotation marks, triumphant entry, right? Um, it's this subversive act, and you, you alluded to it, right, that it's it, it we we think it's just this wonderful praiseworthy note, but really you look at this the the socio political dynamics of what Jesus was doing in Jerusalem at that time in history. He's coming in on a cult where on the other on the west side of town he's entering from the east side, and the Roman imperial guard would, would have traditionally been entered from the west side with cavalry and military and banners and drums and and all daunting and and. Um, um, intimidation and, you know, um, 
just the militaristic machine that was the Roman Empire. And here's Jesus entering from the East Gate with a small ragtag of, of, of you could you call them protesters of, you know, and that's a tricky word to talk about nowadays, but, you know, just a small band throwing down what I like to say, they're throwing down compost, they're throwing down palm branches, um, and he's sitting on some, you know, some ra- some rags, sitting on some cloaks, and J- Jesus is doing this prophetic street theater of of subverting the very thing that defined their society, or at least the the oppression of their society, right? And I I, I see now when I see this film, I I, I think of like. Uh, of uh, Robin's unceremonious reentry into Portland, into the city, coming from from the outskirts and entering as this man who um, does not—he does not look, he does not smell like he's playing the part, um, you know. And and you know, and Mir even says that as he gets in the car, um, like, should we stop for a shower, or change of clothes? And so here here's this man, Robin, coming in unceremoniously. And, and scene after scene, we think, oh, man, he's going to use intimidation. Like he's a big guy and he's intimidating looking. We think there's going to be an act of violence or an act of intimidation because um, we think maybe that's the genre of the story that we're, we're that's being told and that we're, we're watching. But there's something sacrificial. There's something subversive. He takes a beating rather than giving a beating to prove the notoriety and the influence of his name that he still stands for something. He, uh, you know, to get what he wants, he doesn't force this old business partner into some deal. He offers him a gift humbly, you know, and asks for his help. And uh, yeah, so I mean that, I mean, Christ figure, John the Baptist figure, um, actually, I I would, I I think it is, I mean, especially Palm Sunday passage, it is way more, I think, riding a donkey, riding a colt kind of picturesque because John the Baptist was definitely, even though he was on the outskirts of town, he was much more in in your face. And and that's not at all what Robin is, right? Robin is quiet and patient and willing to to speak with very few words. But yeah, and and one of the the most famous scenes in the film is is the film the scene where they go to this restaurant as they're on the trail trying to figure out who has stolen the pig, and after he you know he, he gets a beating, he allows himself to get beat up in this sort of this weird fight club sort of underground restaurant scene uh, that leads him to this high end restaurant called, I believe it's called uh, Finway's. It's the restaurant or Eurydice is the name of the restaurant. And, you know, Robin's there, he's talking to the chef and they have this conversation and Rob's able to face him and sort of, sort of do some deconstructing work. And, you know, he tells him straight up, I just want to read a few lines from the film. He says to Derek, the chef of this restaurant, who was a former employee of his back in the day, he says, they're not real. You get that, right? None of it's real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real because this facade isn't real. You aren't real. He looks at him in the eye and says, Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you because you haven't shown them. Every day you wake up and there will be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. And then the quintessential line in the movies, we don't get a lot of things to really care about. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, this is a gentle sort of rebuke. And I was reminded of something in Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, you know, never avenge yourselves, leave room for wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And that's exactly what Robin does in this story. Mm-hmm. Him and Amir prepare a literal meal for the enemy feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's what this story is all about. It's about overcoming the evil and the ideology of sort of empire mindset uh, with good through a meal, through compassion. And so we see that in this film. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful story beautiful story but on the surface you know one of the themes is the theme of grief and loss now, all the characters involved all three of the main characters are going through grief and loss and recovery from loss so i'd love to get your take on you know, how does the director in this film how does this this theme of, of grief and loss how is it gently and carefully explored uh throughout the film and the character arcs of robin and amir and darius amir's father well, it's like the, uh, and it's funny, right? Because I feel like <laughs> in like most of the films we've selected for movies for Lent, there always <laughs> seems to be this element of grief and loss in these narratives. So I don't know what that says about you and I, but um, but that is very much like the emotional entry point. Um, maybe not the entry point, right? But it's definitely it, where it lands, right? Uh, where all three men um, by the end of the film have worked through stages of grief or resolved their feelings in some way, um, acknowledging that they would never escape them and yet come to terms with them, make peace with them. Um, you know, and even just the fact that, again, spoilers, right? But just that Amir tells us that his mother is dead when we don't find out to the end that she's not, but he has been living in such a way to not be confronted by what is going on in his life and yeah. even within his own heart. Um, it, and it's it's interesting too, because um it's just like the whole framing of it like the 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 loss of of a pig but also the loss of the personal loss that robin experiences through you know that recording of of his wife we we assume or daughter but and how that sort of like bookends the thing and we don't even really necessarily remember or realize that that's the 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 through line the thread through these 90 minutes yeah i don't know what 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 about you how did that that was that a primary it's funny for me because it doesn't it doesn't always that's not where my mind goes immediately maybe because of the christ figure stuff and the palm sunday stuff that i couldn't help but always analyze and reflect on but sure well it's you know in in the palm sunday narrative i mean jesus as he's approaching jerusalem his response is to weep to grieve over the impending destruction of it and even when when rob gives that sort of weird monologue about every ten thousand years everything's going to be destroyed like he's not an anarchist but he's just saying like you know we got to care on what's important we got to care on what's right in front of us he says i remember every meal i've ever made right just the the attention to detail not getting lost in uh, the affirmation of others and the facade of uh you know just just playing to what people want right um but i made a note that each of the characters throughout the film their arc they're forced to revisit the places and experiences of past trauma to find healing versus staying stuck with their coping mechanisms 
you know, Robin actually his return to Portland, you know, he, he doesn't want to go back there. It's the last place he wants to go. His coping mechanism is just, just getting off the grid, right? Going and living in the forest, yet he's got so much pain under the surface that he's yet to heal from that it's throughout this journey to find the pig that by the end of the story, he's found a measure of healing and peace. I mean, his, the journey continues, certainly, but he has to go through the traumatic experiences of revisiting some of the people and places of that past life, each of which help him on his journey of healing. And Amir does likewise, right? He visits the hospital where his, his mom's been kept alive on life support. Um, and him and Robin, that, that that beautiful scene where they're creating the meal for Darius the father, that that's bringing them back to that meal that they remember, right? And, and tasting that duck and drinking that same wine. And you know, uh, Darius, he doesn't want to face that. You know, he gets angry, but you could tell he's shedding tears, and it's it's a painful but a healing moment for him as well. That that heaping of coals on the head, so to speak, uh, overcoming evil with good. And so, uh, I'm almost curious, like if there was a sequel to this movie or. What are the what are the arcs continuing for all three of these characters? But their trajectory is now sort of altered and moved towards healing and wholeness because they've been able to revisit some of those past experiences and find some healing. So I think it's fascinating the character arcs of each of the characters as they're dealing with their own uh, healing from their own trauma. Um, but under the surface, well, that, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, just that dinner scene, it breaks me every time, and mm-hmm. and that's for a lot of like personal you know like i'm a i'm i love to cook cuisine and cooking and being a foodie whatever like i just the kitchen is a part of my identity and who i am and so that was especially stirring and moving um that just again just that that's that's the punchline like that's the that's the climactic confrontation is a serving of a meal and the evoking of memory um and that it would be this act of love and grief colliding through the through through the, just the biting of of, of 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 something memorable and delicious um like that is so stirring and so profound to me and again just ties into all of these uh, works of subversion right of how to to get past all of these facades and these things and these fronts um and in and in that case right of 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 evil like i mean and adam arkin in this tiny little role he must have had only one day of filming or something but like what an incredibly impressive role to to build him up, himself up as the antagonist it's so um strikingly and then to just fall apart um i don't know it's, it's truly profound but i also want to say like because you again you like you said it briefly but it was significant for me tonight for all the the ways in which we see the overlap and have discussed it before thought about it before just those last few verses of the scripture passage where Jesus, it seems like Jesus is getting almost eschatological there. Uh, I it just, it, I never connected the dots with the, those words of Christ in this passage with that breakfast moment in Amir's apartment, right? Where it, it's, it, it, it seems random that scene, right? That he's just talking about the destruction, like they're on a fault line or like, it's all going to fall into the ocean and like, it, it's, it's all oblivion. Um, and yet again, it's like that moment that it's it, that that's unexpected framing device that we we don't really know why at first of what it is and what purpose those words are serving, because it's almost like it's like the one scene where he says the most, right? And yet, and in in the exact same way, when we read these passages of Christ, like how dumbfounded that Jesus's disciples would have been when he. He, he eloquently talked about the destruction of all things, and and you 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 thought these things would bring you peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, as he says in the passage. And um, anyways, I just I just love it for so many reasons, and it's uh, very striking in that way. 
that's one of the beauties of this film is it's it's a pretty straightforward story on the surface, but there's there's a lot of layers of richness below the surface. I mean, the yeah. digging for truffles is almost emblematic or, or symbolic of the layers. If we, if we dig deep, uh, there's some beauty and some richness under the surface. So I know we got to land the plane here soon, but there, yeah. there's some interesting symbols in this film. And and one, I mean, having watched it six times, you, you pick up something each time you watch it. And so I think about the third time through, I was taking note of the names of the restaurants, uh, Eurydice. Mm. Uh, um, and I, I, I had to brush up on my Greek mythology, but the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, that's the the name of the restaurant where Amir finally realizes who Rob is and that the restaurant's named after the, the Greek character Eurydice you know, the Greek legend of Orpheus and, and Eurydice it's, it's a tragic one about moving forward and our inability to accept the death of a loved one which really is the theme of the film uh, and so just in a nutshell you know Orpheus's wife in the Greek myth story Eurydice she dies by a snake bite and in his grief, Orpheus had a talent, talent for the arts. Well, in Robin's case, it's the culinary arts. In Orpheus's case, it's playing the lyre so mournfully that he was granted access in, in the Greek myth to a uh, visitation with Hades. You know, and, and Hades agreed to release Eurydice back into the world of the living if Orpheus could walk in front of her and not look back until they were both back in the sunlight. So Orpheus manages to make it to the sunlight. But he succumbed to the fear that Hades has tricked him and he looks back for Eurydice before she made it to the sunlight and then she immediately disappears back to the underworld. And it's interesting because Robin literally goes into this sort of underworld, the restaurant underworld in the film, uh, where she remained permanently. And from that point on, you know, um, he was a shell of a man who retreated into himself. And it's a tragic tale of loss. It's both a story of enduring love and the ability, inability to move on. And so even the, the choices of the names of the restaurant, I think his own uh, previous restaurant was named Hestia, which is the Greek goddess of the hearth, of naivety, virginity, and purity. So it's a time of revisiting, a time of innocence in his life and coming face to face with his own grief and loss. And so some of those intricate symbols and choices throughout the film add value to it. And I'll just mention briefly, and then I'll give you a chance to share some final thoughts uh, before we land the plane here but one of my other favorite scenes is just a seemingly inconsequential scene but the scene where he revisits his old house and he's sitting on the back deck with his young child and they're they're playing this musical hand pen they have this this conversation about the persimmon tree that was growing in his backyard and uh you know i don't have any green thumbs but what i've learned is and he even talks about this that persimmon tree it's like a tomato but if you eat it before it's ripe, it's very bitter because it's got all these tannins in it. And that that's, again, very metaphorical, symbolic of him needing to go on this journey. Uh, his life needs to become ripe in a sense, uh, because right now there's a lot of bitterness in his heart, in his life. And so that, that conversation is also a, a symbolic layer to the story moving forward. So I think each conversation, the more you revisit and rewatch this film, it rewards rewatches. And I would encourage our listeners, if, if you've seen it, maybe revisit it and have a dinner party. I mean, there's so much food, right? And, and we all know the place food has in Christ's kingdom and, and then the place of the table. And so maybe next time you revisit this film, think of some neighbors or friends to invite, have a dinner party yourself and watch and discuss this film as, as we're doing tonight to add value to it. But I'll, I'll give you the last word here, Adam. Any, any final thoughts about this film? Oh, man, you, 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 you. you. You said it so well. You gave us lots to, to chew on. And, uh, you know, what's so much about it reminds me, absolutely. It just reminds me, like, just to encourage, like, folks, that when you, like, just remember when you watch a film, nothing is by accident. Everything. And, and this is a film where the intention, the layers, the little names and marks, like, it's just this, like, if you're moved by a story like this, 
and a piece of art like this, it's it's worth, as you said, worth revisiting because nothing was by accident because they didn't have to put it in there. They could have cut it out and used a different take, a different scene, a different angle. Um, it's all intentional and it's all stirring and beautiful. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I think it's a perfect film to lead us into Holy Week. And uh, we've got one more, one more opportunity to gather together. Uh, and so next week, our, our final Movies for Lent movie will be another new release last year, a powerful film. Uh, again, uh, theme of grief and loss. It's a, it's a bit of a gut punch. But I think, it, people, I think it will lead us into Good Friday uh, and the theme of forgiveness. Yeah, the movie is called Mass. And so uh, excited to uh, to revisit that one next week. But uh, that's Pig starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, I hope uh, many of our listeners will revisit it. And uh, each revisit will, will reward you, I'm sure, as it has for us. So thanks again for uh, being with us and looking forward to uh, being back next week. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Ben. All right everybody that was adam klein jason trip talking about the movie pig mm-hmm. so tim i know you you uh you didn't see the movie but didn't see it um here's why i would recommend it to you tim here's why i would recommend it to you i think there's two things that uh i really like about it so first i consider this movie to be a thoroughly deconstructed revenge film mm. Um, so explain what you mean by revenge film, Jared. Okay. So classic revenge films are, you know, payback by say, you know, uh, well, what's his name there? Australian guy, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, right. Even more close to this would be like John Wick where, you know, kill the guy's dog. And then he goes and he goes on a, he murders 40 people in revenge for 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 killing his dog. Yeah. Yeah. And there are hints of like Fight Club in this film as well, okay. and it's got a a very sort of dystopian edge to it, but it stays on the the reality tracks. But there is it's a deconstructed in the sense of, and I don't want to spoil anything because there's some very big surprises in it. Yes, there is violence. Yes, this is about seeking something that was taken from you, and. Uh, but the way in which revenge is exacted, I think, is why this movie got chosen for Lent, because there are Christ-like themes in the in the main character's response to mm. to that. And that's why I would say it's it's a deconstructed revenge flick. The the other thing that I would just point out, you're a big fan of food, right, Tim? Like I, I don't know, I would like you call food. yourself a foodie? I, I'm not a foodie. I don't have a broad enough palate to be a good foodie, but I do enjoy good food, and I, uh, I'm i a snob in some very tiny areas of my life. Like so. like, like where? Like coffee? I, I'm, or? I'm a coffee I'm coffee snob adjacent. How about that? I, okay. uh, I'm picky. I'm picky. You can drink bad coffee, but you often I choose can. not to. It's that true. Is that what you would say? I, I also am not a true connoisseur in that I don't drink my coffee black most times. So, so I lose credit. I lose my cred on that front, but I, I do like, I do like food and I like it made well. Yes. Yes. So I think one of the fascinating things, and this is not much of a spoiler friends, it, it is available. This information is in the trailer. Uh, but the main character is a chef. And what I found really fascinating about the story is the way that chefs can move from this, um, from farm to table and all of the transformation processes that go uh, along the way, they care about authenticity. They care about quality and 
and uh, um, passion. And that ability to move between worlds, which are very different worlds, the creation of food, the distribution of food, the sales to restaurants, all of those things are brought into question. They're, they're into question, they're examined. And it is really, really fascinating the authenticity, the humanity that the main character demonstrates through all of those layers. Friends, I, I, I really like this movie. I think it's an excellent movie. Um, I think it, it certainly deserved any of the Oscar buzz that it got. It, it is beautifully shot. It is uh, well made. It is a brilliant performance by Nick Cage. So I would highly recommend it. And as always, on the Movies for Lent podcast, we ask you questions about the, this particular movie. And so those are available on the Facebook uh, page for Movies for Lent. And we invite you to go there and consider those. But the classic questions that our dear friends on Movies for Lent ask every week are, when the credits rolled, what impressions were you left with? When the credits rolled, what did you see? What did you, what did you feel? And from a cinematic perspective, what did you enjoy? What worked for you? What didn't? In our lectionary series passage, this is question number three, Jesus rides into Jerusalem atop a donkey, an action with his boat, which is both prophetic and subversive. How is the kingdom of God embodied in the life of Jesus, both prophetic and subversive? How does Robin, our protagonist in the film, similarly say and do things that are both prophetic and subversive? And then question four, on the surface, Pig is a straightforward story of working through grief and loss. Beneath the surface, however, the film is full of layers of meaning and metaphor. Consider hosting a dinner party. I like this suggestion to enjoy a sumptuous meal and a meaningful conversation around the rich themes of the movie. So if you would like to uh, continue to hang out with us uh, in real time, what we ask you to do is watch next week's movie. And then on Wednesday night, you can join the Zoom call. And if you want to stay connected to this story, Join us on the Facebook page. They provide lots of resources, lots of other alternate takes uh, to look at. Uh, there's been podcasts, videos, all kinds of great stuff. But Tim, you're kind of one of our, well, not one. You are our audio person. <laughs> I've become the audio person, yeah. Yeah, for, for the New Leaf Network. Could you talk to us a little bit about what other things are going on in audio world in yeah, the New well, Leaf Network? One of the exciting things that is is just getting going is, as hopefully people have started to notice, uh, Jamie Robertson, uh, Professor James Robertson, has uh, released a book called Overlooked, and that's just a really great look at Canadian history and specifically the overlooked aspects of, of church history in Canada that I think is just a really important book. So Jamie is putting together uh, a wonderful, wonderfully read audiobook, and I'm going to get to edit it with him and work that out with him. So that is going to be coming out. We don't know exactly when, but it's, it's a project we're working on. And in the meantime, I know that Jamie is going to be joining you at the Learning Center uh, in a mm -hmm. week's time. And I think that's going to be a really great opportunity for people to, to learn from some of the great historic research that, that Jamie has done and hopefully give whets their appetite for for more that's that's in the book and uh, if you're someone like me with small children or other things in life that prevents you from sitting down too long with a paper book i promise the audiobook will be forthcoming so yeah okay 
And it's going to sound good because you're in charge of it. It will sound good because I'm in charge of it and because Jamie is uh, trained as an actor. And so he's enjoying reading it and that, uh-huh. that will help too. Yeah. I think that is going to make it uh, enjoyable. It'll make it funny. Yeah. Uh, just as everything Jamie puts his hand to. Uh, you're also editing uh, uh, the True North Theology podcast. Can it's you talk true. just a little bit about uh, some of the things coming up on that? Yeah, so the True North podcast uh, is also this week, this is all about Jamie this week. So if you tune in this coming week to what's coming up in the True North podcast, it's again, uh, James Robertson and uh, also his peer. And now I'm I'm blanking. It's terrible. Uh, no, that's okay. You're not just an audio editor. You have no. theological <laughs> training. You're quite interested in particular on Canadian history, history of it's the true. Canadian church uh, and politics and those kinds of things. Uh, you're written on our blog. Yep. Um, like, tell me a little bit about, not just from an editing standpoint, but, but just from a, a generally interested Christian in the Canadian context. Why have you enjoyed the True North Theology podcast? I think the thing that you need to, uh, that I've been most impressed with in terms of what Ryan's doing is it's uncovering history. So in the same way of what we've just touted in terms of Jamie uncovering these aspects of history. Much of what the podcast is, it's not just kind of like, what do we think about now? Some political concepts, but most of what the podcast has been thus far is like uncovering the history of Christianity within Canadian politics, how it informs politics and how from that we can then think about uh, political theology. And I, in my time at graduate school at Regent College, that was one of the the biggest lessons I learned, maybe in an unexpected way, is the importance of us understanding history and church history for our understanding of the current world and for how we understand theology as well. So that's probably, even if it's intimidating for you to dive into what is can be at times a very academic uh, podcast, uh, that's, I think, the value of, of the True North Theology podcast, is it uncovers a history that is vital for our current understanding. Well, Tim, I want to thank you for hopping on the on the podcast here and helping us out with the intros and the outros. Um, friends, if you'd like to stay tuned to what's going on at the New Leaf Network, the best place to do that is on our website. But of course, we're on all the social medias. And we also just want to draw special attention. It's coming up very soon. May 27th and 28th in Hamilton is going to be the table. This is going to be uh, a gathering for planters and starters. Finally, face-to-face, friends. And mm-hmm. it's going to be done safely. It's going to be done uh, in, uh, and we're going to bring in some of the best Canadian voices uh, to talk about the Canadian context. Uh, and we're just really excited to be together. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be restful. It's not just going to be, you're not going to walk away with a giant to-do list. You're going to be taken care of and you're going to be prayed for. You're going to be loved. And I, I hope also challenged because we mm-hmm. have uh some incredible challenges ahead of us as the Canadian church. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm excited to be with the kind of people that want to rise to that challenge. So that's uh, May 27th, 28th uh, in Hamilton. If you can't be there in person, uh, we're also going to be making it available online. We promise that we're paying attention to that online experience and we're going to make that uh, as amazing as possible as well. Mm-hmm. All right, friends, we will see you next week for uh the final episode of yeah. movies and l should be back you don't have to put up with me oh you've been great tim thanks for being <laughs> on the podcast appreciate you very much and uh we'll see you all next week bye friends bye